Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou. And boy, do we have an exciting guest lined up for you today. Today's guest comes from Hollywood royalty. Her father is one of the most iconic directors and screenwriters in Hollywood history. And her mother is a successful actress. And she herself, in her own right, is one of the most exciting brilliant, provocative directors in the world today. Her latest project, The Plot Against the President, has been playing on Amazon Prime to rave reviews. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary Amanda Milius. Welcome to the show, Amanda. Hi, thank you so much. That's quite an introduction. You are so It's great to be with you. It's great to be with you as well. So excited to have you here. So, Amanda, you and I are just getting to know each other, and one of the things that we start off every show with is we ask you to tell us your backstory. How did you get to be the great Amanda Milius? <laughs> well, I mean, the <clears throat> the thing that's, I guess, a little bit unique about my uh, path to making this film and just where I'm at now as, as, as far as, you know, being somebody that's very interested in, uh, non Hollywood filmmaking, whether that's supporting the conservative point of view or just a point of view that isn't limited by Hollywood's latest, uh, insane restrictions on thought, um, uh, is that basically, you know, I, as you said, I, I came from LA, my parents both worked in the film industry. And so I was working in and around the film industry for my whole life. And, uh, I went to USC film school, uh, which is actually where my dad went as well. And it was great. And I was kind of on my way to do this fairly traditional path of like, if you want to be a filmmaker, you know, I'd worked around it. I'd done a bunch of different odds and ends of jobs. I was an editor at one point, like I was a photographer. I mean, it was just your usual LA girl jobs. And then I actually got serious and went to film school. And usually, you know, you graduate, you do, I had a, I had a short, like a, you know, 25 minute movie that was playing in 40 film festivals that I had used to, you know, as my graduating thesis. And usually what you do is, you know, you do the film festival circuit and then you hope to get an agent and then you either develop scripts with somebody else or whatever. There's all these little paths you can take to, if you want to try to have this film industry career. And, um, Weirdly, I guess, fortunately, as it turns out, it was 2015 when I was touring the movie and politics were really heating up. And I've always been a Republican, but I just wasn't very outspoken about it when I was in Hollywood. But the uh, the election was really heating up and it was becoming more and more painful to work in the environments I was working in and not be able to talk about politics and try to have to pretend that I wasn't interested in them at all. Uh, in order to avoid, you know, awkward conversations and and things like that, and people just outright hating you. 
so I, in addition to that, I was also really grossed out by the industry. Like I was touring this film, but I mean, I was really uninspired by what was happening in Hollywood. It was so gross. Everything was about, you know, what kind of uh, minority bucket can you fit yourself in so that you can get a grant and like, or whatever, like it was just, you know, it was very uninteresting. And the stuff that Hollywood was putting out was not very interesting. I wasn't really very, and it was a really weird moment because I was super, you know, it was a really crazy thing for me to do to have gone to this very big deal film school and have like lined myself up for this career. And then just been like, you know what? I don't want to do this. Like, I don't even want to be around these people. I don't want to do this. I'm going to run away. And yeah, so I basically, I just started, you know, in the spring and summer, I just started volunteering in Nevada for the Trump campaign. Um, because I wanted to do politics and be around normal people. Um, and I really liked, I was the volunteer coordinator at, you know, eventually they hired me and I was working with like normal families and like people that were just really, you know, hardworking people that wanted things to change. And I really liked doing that. I was way more, I, you know, nobody out in the campaign world knew anything about Hollywood or knew where I came from or anything like that. It was very refreshing. And I just kind of never left. So I, I stayed, I stuck around, worked really hard with them. I ended up working with the legal team and then we won. And some people were like, you know, assuming they were like, well, you're going to go work for the administration. Right. And I was like, well, no, that's impossible. I could never work in government. I have no training. I have no interest in the guy. I don't even like the government. And they were like, no, that's the point. Like you should go. (laughs) So, so I ended up, um, getting hired, uh, in the Trump administration. I worked at the state department, um, and the white house. I I worked at the white house for six months, but I mostly worked at the state department for, uh, three years. So for most of the administration and actually what I was doing, I was the deputy assistant secretary for content in global public affairs, which is at the state department. So I was doing a lot of the international communications and, um, content about, you know, advocating for us foreign policy and the administration's policies and things like that. Um, and I did a lot of stuff on the middle East and that's sort of my hobby prior to that, it's sort of been foreign, you know, foreign studying foreign affairs from afar, but no I got to do it up close. I have a master's in political yeah. science and foreign affairs from Georgetown University. That's my thing too. Well, so you were, uh, your background is, you know, the kind of background I think they're, they're used to having, uh, walk in the door at the state department. Like that, that sounds more like a pedigree that you would have. Like when I was <laughs> in and I was like, they were looking at my, you know, they were reviewing me, trying to figure out what to do with me. And um, they were like, what is this? Like, your background's totally weird. Your, your, you know, education's all over the place. Your, um, your jobs, your resumes are all over the place. And I was like, yeah, well, it's the film industry. You kind of work lots of jobs at once or none at all. And it's sort of all over the map. And they were just very confused by that. But luckily, there was this bureau that... Um, actually it was perfect. I mean, it was really, you know, we were making content. So I treated it like an advertising agency instead of a piece of the government. I think it went really well. So I did that. And then I resigned just in time to do the movie. I mean, I had the movie landed in my lap because some friends and I, you know, I had Lee Smith, the author was sort of in my extended friend group. And it was so obvious that this needed to become a movie and people basically in the admin and around it were like, well, you're the only one that knows how to do that. So you should probably go do it. And, uh, so I did, I just resigned and started the company and made the movie in less than a hundred days, which is completely insane. And I don't advise, no, it's like unheard of. 
I mean, it was really nuts. Like we were coloring the movie 48 hours before it first appeared online, which is not how you're supposed to do things. Like you're not, don't ever do that. It's like not, <laughs> I got not it. a good idea. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so, so anyway, so I did that and then it turned out the movie was this huge success and you won't hear that from the Hollywood press because, you know, they only care about, uh, independent movie success and women producers and directors and all this stuff they pretend to care about if it's not a woman producer and director. Right, they don't care about that. When you're from the when you're from the Trump administration, or if your movie, you know, proves that Russiagate was a hoax. But anyway, so I so the movie was super successful. It was like the most watched documentary of 2020. I mean, you know, the Hollywood press goes on and on about like Stacey Abrams doc that came out a few months before ours, which has, I think, like eight thousand reviews on Amazon. Ours has fifteen thousand, and they just don't even mention it. They're just like she has a documentary. Yeah, the Hollywood press goes I, I even, on I, and on. I never even knew that. It's like about um I haven't watched it, but uh yeah, she's there's some documentary about her gallant attempts to It's a woke documentary. No 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 real human beings yeah. are going to watch it. Right. It's like right. a Biden so, rally, right? As many people watch that yeah. as go to a Biden rally. Come on. Yeah, but I mean, it's entirely possible the Oscars, you know, pay, obviously they pay more attention to that sort of stuff. I was surprised that we were shortlisted for the Oscars. Um, obviously, we weren't going to get past, you know, the level to get nominated, but um, but it was really surprised we even showed up. But um, but yeah, it's uh, it was a really big, successful adventure, and it's. Uh, you know, we had a very unusual advertising uh, model, which is that we didn't advertise. We did all word of mouth and social media and, you know, had a lot of the MAGA influencers that were in it, talked about it, and it just kind of exploded. Um, Lou Dobbs became like a really early fan of it and talked about it for like two weeks straight, which was amazing. And the president loves it and tweeted it out. And it was just, yeah, it's just been very organic. Incredible, incredible. So you, you're John Milius's daughter. So, you know, Cecilia Kay's daughter. So you, you come from yeah. like serious Hollywood royalty, right? Like you've, your, your, your parents have done some serious things in Hollywood, right? And you. Yeah, we're, you're, we're conservative, you know. Conservatives um, too, which, that's right. Yeah, which I, you know, I have to say, I think that was pretty impactful on me because I saw that my parents, even though they were in Hollywood, um, were very independent minded and didn't try to fit in. And especially my dad was, you know, alone in his beliefs and he didn't mind that. And I think that that was a really good lesson for me to see is that, you know, you don't have to be popular. You don't have, you just have to be good at what you do. You don't have to think the same way everybody else does. I found out about who he was when I read a, um, uh, biography piece that was done about him in National Review uh, about a dozen mm. years ago. And I'm like, wow, this is who this guy is. He's, he sounds pretty cool. Is, is he the only one left in Hollywood? That's what I was thinking at that time. And Yeah, uh, I mean, he might be. Yeah, he's one of the few, that's for sure. And, um, you, you know, the Dirty Harry movies are some of my favorite movies of all time. I mean, Apocalypse Now is a masterpiece. And, totally. And you went out and you created the most popular documentary, the most successful documentary of 2020. First time out. I mean, to me, yeah. that's mind blowing. 
That's mind-blowing. So what made you decide that now was the time for you to go back to the world of filmmaking? Uh, well, basically, I got uh, pushed into it. I didn't really want to because <laughs> I, I had a really um, – I had like a really – you know, I thought I had like a whole new life. Like I was like, oh, I don't have to worry about Hollywood anymore. Like, this is great. Like I can just be my political self and it doesn't matter that my entire film school has like disowned me. And like, I don't have to think about any of that stuff anymore. And I've just, you know, I would just do politics, which is what I'm very obsessed with and kind of do naturally every day. And then, um, you know, I had, I had a group of friends that were, some of them were some of the characters that are in the movie. Some of the people that were directly affected by this hoax attempt to push Russiagate over, uh, on the, in the entire country. I mean, some of those people are my good friends. And when Lee Smith's book was telling the correct side of the story, the real side of the story of the real people that were involved in the investigation and that were actually there, and it was so good. Um, you know, we, I basically optioned it, you know, a week after I got the manuscript. So it hadn't come out yet. And, uh, we put that deal together and I've got, you know, I, 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 I thought that we would do a, a bigger, maybe like a scripted or some version of it, but it turned out that, you know, it really was clear that this needed to be told before the election. And, um, the only way to do that was as a doc. And so I was fine with resigning and producing it because producing is kind of more what I do anyway. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a little more like behind the scenes and, um, and it just turned into this thing where everybody was basically just telling me to direct it. They were like, you know, it was, it was kind of funny because it was people that really just were working politics and stuff like friends of mine. And, um, and partners. And they were like, you know, you know how to do this. Just, just go do it. Just go make the movie. And I was like, no, that's not how it works. Like you have, you have to like hire people like a director. I was, and I just kept pushing back on it. And then finally, I mean, I just was like, all right, screw it. I'll just do it myself. And, um, awesome. and then we did, I mean, I called my producing partner from, um, the other movie I'd done when I was in film school and like somebody who I've worked with for a long time, which is John Eisenman. And he came out and co-produced it with me. And that was really key, uh, cause he's maintained his life in the film industry. So he has, he still has those contacts. Whereas like I cut myself off from it entirely. And so now we're going to keep this, you know, we're going to keep this company going and churning out content because- Yay. It's just so clear that that's needed. But yeah, it was really weird stepping back into filmmaking. Like I was used to going into an office every day, like a government office and, and, you know, knowing what I was doing every single day and not having, uh, not running around in a van outside in the rain, like shooting exteriors of government buildings and like scurrying around interviewing people. So it was, you know, unexpected. And I guess, I guess that's what I'm doing. I mean, I, I'm, I've embraced it now because I realize how much of a gift this is. Like, it's such a gift to be able to basically be in a position where I can just make whatever content I want. And like, who would have thought that the thing I wanted when I was in Hollywood, when I was living in LA and I was trying to become a filmmaker all I wanted was to be able to just do the projects that I wanted, like to be like, no, I only want to work on what is creatively inspiring to me and be real spoiled about it, which you can't be in LA. You have to work on whatever hires you. 
And what, what has money is usually really uninspiring and really lame. Um, and that's why I left. Oh yeah. I mean, it's unbearable. And so now I'm in this crazy position where I'm like, Oh wait, I just created like my own economy and I can just make whatever movies I want. You did. Like that's, I'm like, okay, it's pretty amazing. So I'm going to stick with that. You totally should. I mean, listen, there's a, um, there's a huge gaping hole in the marketplace left by Hollywood's abandonment of pro-American movies, traditional pro-American movies. Like I'm telling you, that is a, $10 $10 billion a year marketplace that they just abandoned. I know. So I know. And, and that's why whenever people talk about how Hollywood's getting more and more communist and like they're, they're owned by China and everything else, all of that's totally true, but it makes me completely happy. I don't have a problem with it. I'm like, okay, go be more extreme, go and insist that you, you know, abolish the best actress and best actor category and make sure that only there's only transgender leads. Like, I don't care. Do whatever you want, Hollywood, because I am just going to clean up the rest of, I'll just make the movies, you know, myself and people like me. I mean, there's other conservatives that are making films these days and that's really great. And there's, there's a, you know, I, I, I'm like perfectly happy to just, you know, if they want to leave, like I've said to the Hollywood reporter the other day, I'm like, if they want to leave all that money on the table, like I'm happy yeah, to man, take I wanna, it. Yeah, man, I'm with you. I want to I wanna participate. In fact, I, I am in a small way and I want to do it in a bigger way. Do you know a man named Elon Srulovitz? No. So Elon Srulovitz okay. is a Hollywood actor. Uh, he was on The Walking Dead. Uh, and he's also been on a, on a Marvel Disney thing. Um, and... I don't know if you recall, but about two years ago, Gillette made this ad that just made my blood boil. It yeah, was, that's yeah, that, awful that, ad that, 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 that ad that all men are bad. And I'm like, do yeah. you realize your customers yeah. are men? So Elon, Elon made a response to that ad with his company, Agard Watches, and he got like 40 million views. He was on Fox News and um uh and if you go Agard Watch's response to Gillette, if you go on YouTube, you can check it out. You should watch it. It's a great little ad. It's fantastic. It put him on the map. And now Elon has teamed up with some folks and he's making some movies. And I'm I'm writing a script with Elon, which is kind of exciting. He's okay. got 10 movies. Uh, I, you know, I, I can talk to you about it offline, but it's a pretty, pretty cool story idea. And when I told Elon about this part of my life, he said, hey, we should turn this into a movie. And I said, Cool. Awesome. How do we do that? And then he says, oh, write a script with me. We'll get it done. I'm like, all right. I'm just going along. I'm like, no problem. And and, and I think, you know, I, I should connect you with Elon. I think you and Elon would, would get along. Uh, I, I'm sure he knows who you are. Um, I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, that sounds great. I, I think that's I'm like sure what I'm saying. I'm sure he knows who you I, are. He knows about your documentary. He's a, his first movie is a documentary. It's, it's, it's going to be coming out very shortly. I, I don't even know the name of it, but... He, he knows oh, about your documentary. He knows who you are. I, I know it because we've talked about the the, the documentary he's making. He says he, he'd love it to be as successful as the plot against the president. So I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And I said, I'm trying to get That's Amanda awesome. on my podcast. I told him that. I've had Elon on my show a couple of times. I actually had Elon on, on the Politicrossing show that I do as well. Um, Roger has a couple really cool ideas. You should talk to Roger. Um, there's yeah, a- Roger's. Um, I've been meaning to reconnect with him. We were um, chatting for a while because we were both. Michael Pack put both of us on the board of USAGM, which, for your listeners, is the organization that uh, is like the the collection of 
foreign broadcasting for the United States. So VOA, Middle East Broadcasting, uh, Radio Free Europe, stuff like that. So Radio Free Asia. So we were on the board of all those broadcasting companies. And um, the Biden administration promptly, actually illegally, but doesn't appear that they they mind doing those things, fired us like within like a week. And it's just such an interesting contrast between the way the press treats are not like anybody's like, you know, it's not it's not the biggest priority in the world. It's not like, uh, you know, they they had this imagined they imagined that we were like plotting to, um, you know, turn VOA into like the new Rush Limbaugh show or something. They were just like, oh, my God, they're going to make it into like a pro Trump propaganda unit. Like they hired a Trump propagandist, which I, I'm assuming they mean me. But, um, you know, forget the fact that I actually worked in uh, public diplomacy for three years, like at a higher level than all of them. But anyway, so yeah, they, uh, it was funny. That's how I actually met Roger is, um, we were both, uh, booted, booted off the board together, but, uh, it was fun while it lasted. Yeah, I think we're on no, the board for together sure. for like so a good I, three. You know what? I, I can reconnect you with Roger if you like, if you, if, if you, if you'd like that, but he's got, he's got a sure. great script that he sent me, uh, about a cold war era story. I read the script. It's magnificent. He wrote it. He said, it's the best thing he's ever written. You know, Roger's an Academy Award nominated screenwriter, so I'm figuring if he says it's the best thing he's ever written, it's pretty darn good. And he's got a yeah, really, awesome. really great idea um, that I think, uh, you know, again, we should talk about it offline. Not, not, not. I don't want it to be public yet. Which, if you can, if you can get that project made, oh my god, that would be so awesome! It will make so much yeah, money. I mean, it'll, this is, it'll make five hundred million dollars. That that idea that he has, <laughs> like people I mean, are going to flock to it. Together. Yeah, we want we. That's basically what we want to be able to do is to actually properly produce um, the stories that Hollywood doesn't want, whether those are documentaries or scripted features or whatever. Um, and it, you know, it's going to take a minute to get up working on all cylinders, but we're taking the time to do that and put the infrastructure together. And um, we have a lot of people that are very interested in investing and we've got a lot of money lined up and we've got a lot of, I mean, a lot of talent that wants to do this. I can't tell you how many people reach out to me and they're like, I want to work for your production company. Like I were, I'm, I'm a DP, I'm an editor, I'm whatever. And I am sick of doing stuff that I don't believe in. And I just want to work on something that I like. And, you know, I've got a lot of people that work under different names and things like that because for they sure. still need to maintain their career and that's fine. Um, and I just, you know, it's, it's sad it that we've come to really, this, that people yeah. in, in America, the yeah. land of the free and the home of the brave need to hide their identity so they don't face repercussions. It's, it's it's insane to me that that's happening. It's insane. Oh yeah, that's it's been that way. I think for quite a while, but it's just it's very yeah, it's really crazy. I mean, and I I don't think that that's I understand why people do that completely because it's you know um, I've even had conversations with some of the people that I've worked with and that I'm gonna work with where I'm telling them, you know, they they want to work. They're you know established professionals in the industry and, and they're like going to use their own name. And I'm like, you know, you've got a family, like you might not want to, you might want to change it because, you know, we, uh, like, you know, they're like the, like the fact that my dad was able to be basically canceled, you know, and it, that's part of why he, he stopped working before he had to. Um, and he wrote apocalypse now it's like, yeah, like they'll cancel anybody, you know, you can't, there's no, uh, you know, project that's going to protect you. So, 
No, I mean, as it, it's crazy. Seen. I mean, Roger, Hollywood's blacklisted Roger. I mean, <laughs> and Roger's oh, yeah, the nicest sure. guy in the world. He's the nicest man I've ever met. Like, it's insane. They, you know, it's they, crazy how they turn everybody into the same villain. Like, when you read the press about when Roger and myself and they were going after Michael Pack like crazy, who, who by the way, his film got booted off of Amazon that was about Clarence Thomas, and he still doesn't know why. Um, and, you know, they, they booted it off during Black History Month, which is ridiculous. So you've got a Clarence Thomas documentary. Like, how controversial could that possibly be? When they, when the press was writing about all of us, you know, the group that was on at USAGM, they were writing about us like we were like the second coming of like Goebbels or something. Like it was like everybody, everything was like a Nazi reference. And you're just like, that's just such dangerous rhetoric for like a bunch of film people and people who were basically, you know, just creatives that, uh, I mean, it, it's just, they're so afraid of that. They're so afraid of right-wing creatives because they know that the so. culture war is something they have a stranglehold on and they want to hang on to no, it. No, they're not going to be able to hang on to it. They're done. <laughs> they, they, like the, what they don't understand is that Normal people don't like this crap. They don't like this cancel cult business. They don't like the thing is what they've got in the in the Hollywood sense is that they have now successfully and I was making this argument on Twitter the other day and everybody freaked out, um, which is that so obviously we've known for a long time that like Hollywood tends to make really big budget movies and more and more of those are coming at the expense of like American blockbusters that are more a hundred million and under, let's call it. They're more into these like $200 million movies, which have to have foreign success in order to recoup their money. But at this point, what they've done is they've insulated themselves from any American criticism. So the entire country of the United States could reject a movie, could be like, nah, this bores me. I don't want to see, you know, Fast and Furious 20 with like their ethnically plucked cast that's like exactly representative of every single group of people you can imagine totally having artificial conversations that no no memorable characters or lines and or like you know some of these like massive comic book movies or monster movies or whatever not that i have a problem with big dumb movies like that's the you know the point is not to have a problem with big stupid movies i like big stupid movies i just like amazing ones like Alien or Die Hard or Terminator 2 um, that are just amazing American cultural icons versus the totally forgettable stuff that comes out now. But the point of that, of all this is to say is that, you know, America might be sick of this. The average person, I do believe you, I believe that you're right, which is that the average person wants to return to the America and the culture that they they liked. I'm not even talking about like a, you know, golden age, like era, but just even something resembling like the nineties, uh, when you could just see movies that weren't political at all. Um, and they don't have to listen to America anymore because all of their financing and all of their, um, success comes internationally. So they're in the globalist market now, which is the problem with globalism writ large, which is that individual countries, their tastes, their preferences, their laws don't matter. So obviously we're going to see this in the film industry as we see it in every industry in the United States at the moment. Um, very few industries are insulated from this reaching of globalism, which just washes the individual culture out of everything. So of course it's going to really affect the arts. Um, I think you see it in in all kinds of ways, but 
anyway, yeah, that to long way of saying to your point, I think you're right. I think normal people wish things were uh, different things were coming out. 100% they do. And um, the problem is, though, you know, some of those global markets are not going to be large enough for them to say they can they can kiss America goodbye. The, the U.S. market is still by far the biggest market for uh, movies. And in my opinion, if uh, Hollywood is deciding that they don't want to play in the United States, they're going to lose a lot of money. Few of those companies yeah, are going to go bankrupt, and that's okay. I'd rather see. But writ large, they don't care. I think because China has purchased Hollywood, and there's very few companies that aren't in some way controlled by China. Whether some of them go, China is perfectly happy to see American companies go bankrupt. That's what's so dumb about this. That's what's so dumb about some of these studios. They all think it's not going to be them. And I've seen it. I've seen that. I mean, even like 15 years ago, this happened to a very significant company in Hollywood. But they they don't think it's going to be them. China doesn't care. It'll let you know. It'll devour some of them and 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 not some of the others. But at the end of the day, they're they're not interested in getting feedback from American audiences. But I, that's what I'm saying. I don't even mind. Like all this sounds really dark and doomy and gloomy. But like that's fine. Like let them go and be the globalist mess. And I'm just going to keep making. You know, I think that I think a second industry is going to crop up because there's nothing tying us. Like that's the freeing feeling that I realized after doing this movie is I was like, there's absolutely nothing tying movies to Hollywood. Like you don't have to be, you don't have to like get their permission when you're not asking for their money. You don't need their permission. So no, we don't. just make whatever movies we want. I mean, we have to, there's some kinks to work out in the distribution because that's something that is, is, you know, a, I, f- I don't even feel like it's that big of a hurdle. Like, I think we've got really smart people on our side who are going to figure this out. I hope they figure it out before my next movie comes out because, you know, Amazon's not ex- accepting independent documentaries anymore after our movie. Um, but, uh, but yeah, once, once this distribution model gets sorted out, which it will within a year or so, then we're, there's nothing stopping us because we'll just, we'll just make the alternative content. Yeah, I think that's that's so fantastic. I'm very excited. I think there's a lot of great opportunities. I've become friends with uh, a fellow by the name of uh, G. Michael Hopf. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of him. He's a uh, yeah, he's a veteran of the first Iraq War. He's also a novelist. He wrote a, a series of books that became very popular. Uh, called the New World series. He wrote seven post-apocalyptic novels, written from a decided. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I know who he is. I know who he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've so heard of those. I think they're really good. They're really good. They're, oh my god! I I I read seven two hundred and fifty page novels in eight days. Like that's how good they are. And I I run a full time business. I'm a single dad. I got kids. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's how good he is. And. Um, those books should be made into movies. You should check a couple of them out. I think they'd make really, really great movies. Really great movies. Yeah. Well, this is this is basically what I'm buried in right now is that there's so many options. There's so much. Like, I totally agree. I mean, that's exactly the kind of thing we'd be interested in. You know, I'm basically, <clears throat> basically just moving pieces on a chessboard to figure out, you know, which movie are we starting next and like, what's going to be the, the, that's another reason why I'm going to be producing for a while before I direct again is because, um, you know, until the company grows way larger, 
the way for me to get the most content out is to basically be, you know, not personally directing any one thing. So that's, that's, uh, that's the plan. Although, I mean, I will probably do another doc and potentially a scripted in the near future, but I'm just going to get a lot of these projects off the ground first. And, and we actually have one almost, uh, we have one that's finished shooting that's going into post right now and it's really cool and I can't wait to show it to people. It's really edgy and exciting and it's, yeah, I'm very excited about it. I'm very excited for you. Very excited. Uh, I want to help in any way I can in uh, many different ways. I, I think what you're awesome. doing is great. Uh, so, you know, come on the show. I'll introduce you to a ton of other people who have shows who I think you'd be interested in having you on when you're ready to promote these things. Um, I write, I speak, <laughs> uh, I help people who are business owners. Maybe you want to come check out our, our conservative peer group sometime, whatever you want to do. I'm here. I'll come up with 300 ideas. You'll probably only like five of them, but there'll be five really good ones. The other 295, you'll say, oh God, these are crazy. <laughs> but well, I, that's, that's usually how it works, but that's how you get the best stuff. I mean, yeah, no, it's, it's weird to go from working for other people and then working for the government to running a business. And I know that's what you're your jam is. So I would certainly be interested to, to talk with your folks because I mean, I never thought that that's what I would be doing. You know, I personally like to stay in, I mean, I like the business of making movies. Like I'm, I'm very good at that. I'm very good at producing, but as far as sort of the other, you know, side of basically running a business, it's very, you know, these things just land on you and you don't really intend to do it. I'm supposed to be able to be a creative. I'm not supposed to be, you know, making any sense when I talk to the accountants. So, um, you got to learn to do both, unfortunately. Yeah, I know. I know. I realized that and I'm, I'm very annoyed, but yes, I'm learning that. You'll do fine. You'll do fine. You'll be great. I'm happy to help out. Uh, you know what? Call me anytime. We can chat. I'll introduce you to some of the folks I know, but you're going to do fine. You, you did great. You had a big hit with the movie last year. And I got to say, the fact that you were able to make that movie and have it be successful and create a company shows me what the business of thought leadership is about in the world of making movies, right? Because you spotted an opportunity because the opportunity was to bring out a movie that was appealing to a segment of the population that felt that traditional Hollywood no longer cared what they wanted to watch. You made a movie. It was instantly successful. And as a result of that success, you're like thinking, wow, I think I can actually turn this into something that is going to have legs. It's going to be a company that's actually going to be successful in the long run. I think I can kick Hollywood's tail. And you're doing exactly that. I'll tell you, you handle this properly, you're, you're, you're going to be the new Hollywood. You know, we're going to have to call it something else because Hollywood's this left-wing hellhole these days. But you're going to have the traditional, patriotic, normal, American, Canadian, Western, frankly, even Eastern human being version of how stories ought to be told without this woke scold BS that people are infusing into every story and just telling regular stories that men and women and children are going to want to see. So kudos. Yeah. I mean, thank you. I, I think, like I said, I mean, between, you know, myself, my company and, and there are others that are, are turning to this space and doing it. And I think, you know, we really got to work together 
similarly, like I said, in the way that Hollywood does. I mean, it's one thing that conservatives do that hurts us is we are very, you know, I we used to joke on the campaign that every every volunteer for the Trump campaign was actually running their own campaign. Like, no, there was no like there we we are hard to do teamwork together, right? Like Democrats and the left tend to be okay with working in a in a flow uh, of of others. And I think one thing we've got to remember on this is that we have to all be on the same side and support each other and not get to this place where everybody's competitive with each other. And it's like weird. I've I've seen that a little bit. There was some, I saw a bit of that when we were promoting the movie and there would be, you know, certain television hosts that would absolutely not talk about it and certain ones that would. And the ones that wouldn't were like, you know, they're like, oh, well, this author is a competitor of mine because I wrote a book about Russiagate or something. And you're like, oh, for Christ's sake, like we have got to get, we're fighting the entire mainstream media narrative. Like we have to do the Andrew Breitbart thing of more voices, not less, you know, and always. And so, I mean, I, that's one of the, again, one of the real, I think joys, I hope of this, I hope we're able to do this is to find other conservative creatives and, and build them up. You know, I, I mean, the idea, like I said, is for me to be working with a lot of different directors. I don't need to direct everything. I'd like to see other people's visions come to life, which means it can be a very diverse, varied stylistically, you know, it's not all going to be one, one or two people. Like I think really getting more creatives and more different ideological points of view in the creative world is, is just going to be, you know, it's what the United States, it what it's what the whole culture needs right now because things have been so stifled and, and for so long. So I think that that's really one of the exciting things is, is actually just working with all the other different, you know, alternative, I'll say dissident creators, uh, that are out there and ones that we haven't even found yet. Yeah. Amen, Amanda. Amen. So well said. You are so fun to interview. You you are so down to earth. It's so easy to talk to you. And yet you're doing something incredible. You've created a huge success for yourself inside the creative space, inside the movie making space. You know, your uh, documentary, The Plot Against the President, is fantastic. It's brilliantly well done. It's riveting. It is the unboring. It's not some piece of woke scold garbage, which is why I believe it's successful. It's it's fast. It's, it's, I, you know, I got to, this sounds sort of weird, but being that we made it so quickly, I don't know why, but I don't actually get tired of watching it. Like usually with movies, like if you, you have to watch your own movie is like the worst torture of all time. Like I, I, I can't watch usually anything that I have anything to do with. I have to just leave the room. Um, But with that, it's, I gotta say, I mean, I watched it the other night myself just to like mentally, you know, I don't know why I did that, but I watched it by myself the other night. And I was like, this thing is really good. (laughs) It's awesome. This, this, I mean, it's, it, it just, I have to say, I mean, the thing that it's amazing is that it, again, it's like the mainstream media abandoned this entire story and narrative. And so we get to tell this really exciting spy thriller that nobody else is telling. It's again, it's another one of these moments where I'm like, is this just a gift? Like, I don't understand why would no one want to tell this story? It's incredibly interesting and it affects everything in our world. You know, every 
everything that's happening right now, you can see, um, you know, frankly, I'm looking at this and again, I, I don't know. So I'm not, I'm not making any bold predictions or statements or whatever, but you look at like this Matt Gates thing that's happening right now. And there's yeah. this part in my yeah. film at the very end where John Solomon is talking about how anybody who stands up, um, for the average American and anybody who stands up to the elite will have a false narrative created about them and a false reality, um, try, imposed on the world and that the mainstream media combined with the FBI and some of these corrupt institutions will destroy anybody that challenges it. And so when I, when I, I, I believe that completely, I mean, it's why I put it in the movie. It sums up entirely the world that we're living in right now. And we need to remember that when these false narratives and stories pop up in the media, I am saying we have to come at things with such a level of skepticism that until I am utterly convinced otherwise, if the FBI and the mainstream media are telling me something, I'm going to go ahead and think the exact opposite because they have no credibility. And I, you know, and anyway, so things like that, I think, are why this movie is still relevant is because it really shows us the blueprint of how they create a false reality and that they've been doing this to the American people for a long time. And this is an art this is an art that the intelligence community created and that the various institutions of the mainstream media and our, you know, IC and law enforcement and foreign foreign affairs, you know, as well have perfected. You know, we perfected this art to use on other countries and and we've and they've used it on us for the last four and a half years and uh, at least actually quite a bit more. So I just think, yeah, it's still very relevant. It's definitely still relevant. It's it, totally what I take away from it is that I, I refuse to to listen to what, anything that they come out with until they provide some kind of credible evidence. Hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, um, I think I believe in due process. Um, from what I've heard. Uh, coming out of Matt Gates's mouth, it sounds like somebody has been trying to uh, blackmail him and his family, and all of this is a uh, is an attempt to discredit the guy because he's an effective defender of the the MAGA movement and an effective ally of President Donald Trump's. And I expect yeah. to see this uh, story uh, be washed away, and I expect to see Matt Gates come out of this stronger than ever before. That's what I expect. And by the way, the um, the the reference and the appearance of this Levinson thing uh, reeks of CIA um, meddling. I mean, the idea like there's there's always like I don't know. I mean, I'm, I've been around DC for too long, and so you always hear about these sort of like ops that are run on people where they want people to do something out of their purview uh, and, and get into some kind of trouble. It always has to do with some kind of foreign, you know, rescue or mission or something that like a civilian or a person who isn't CIA ought not to be doing. Like there are always some, and it just, the there's a pattern to it. And I, I this is something I might want to study in the future more or, or speak about or do a project about, but there's just so much about this story that reeks of an op. I mean, oh, I know totally. it, it's, it's a, a messy thing. And the fact that, I mean, it's what they've been doing for generations. Like that's what they used to love to do to politicians. Um, back in the day is, is, is some kind of personal life smear and like, Oh, he's a cad. He's got lots of like girls and they're, you know, these various accusations. And so I just think the whole thing reeks of, of some kind of an op, but 
you know, we'll yeah. see. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Um, there's a book you ought to check out called Willing Accomplices, written by a uh, former CIA case officer named Kent Clisby, rhymes with Frisbee, C-L-I-Z-B-E. And he lays out the case for why all this is happening and what can be done to stop it. So check it out. Willing accomplices can't Clisby like Frisbee. Very interesting. No, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I, I I feel like my my home library is enough to get me on a government watch list at the moment. So I <laughs> might as well. God bless your heart. God bless your heart. Okay, Amanda, I'm really enjoying this conversation. I'm having a, a ton of fun. Um, so what do we want to leave the people with today? What should they be doing? Should they, you want to tell them about something that they should be watching? Should someone who has not seen the documentary jump on that? What are we promoting today? Um, well, yeah, I mean, frankly, yeah, I think if anybody hasn't seen the doc, I really, again, like you really should watch it because there is, it's not just about Russiagate. You've got to see it to know what actually happened in the last four years. And I think that you can't judge what's happening today if you don't have a clear vision of this. I mean, it really, I, and I, and I obviously I feel this way because I made it, but I mean, I've heard this from other people that they say it really changes how you look at what's going on now, how you interpret the news. Definitely watch it if you haven't. It's available on Amazon Prime. It's also available on iTunes, which a lot of people prefer because you can when you purchase it, I think you get to keep a digital copy or I think if you buy it, it's like an easier way to download. It's also, uh, if you have, you know, there's a lot of people I hear from that are like, we don't want to support Amazon or those other ones. But, uh, so if you don't like Apple, you don't like Amazon, you can get it on Vimeo on demand as well. Um, and also it's on DVD. A lot of people have been buying DVDs. This was something I talk about a film industry thing that I didn't expect. I wasn't even planning on putting it out on DVD because I was like, it's 2020, you know, whatever, uh, it's streaming or nothing. And, um, and then people were like, I was told like, no, like this audience, the conservative audience, people that are into more kind of edgy things that could get pulled off the internet at any moment. They want to own it. They want to have it in their house where they know they can, it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't get just disappeared in memory hold. So we have been super successful. A lot of people buying it on DVD. It's available at walmart.com and uh, amazon.com uh, as well on DVD. And, um, you know, watch it and tell people that are on the fence. I've heard so many stories of people who are not, you know, natural conservatives or Republicans, whatever you want to call it, that really were just totally eye-opened by it. So as, as much as you can, uh, try to wake people up to what's, what the media is doing. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's, a. Uh, it's it's just a good a good jumping off point for judging what's happening now. Yeah, I, I'm going to say this. I don't think it's about being a Republican or a conservative anymore. I think it's about yeah. being basically a fair and good human being, or part of the forces of darkness that are seeking to basically snuff out freedom. And no, you're totally right. You know what? Somebody said this the other day. Sorry to keep interrupting, but that's so interesting that you say that because I had a friend say the other day he was like, uh. No, the line is no longer, do you even vote the same way as me? Which, I mean, it kind of is, but the line is, is uh, it's not conservative Democrat. The line is, do you want to put me and my family in a gulag or not? And if you, if yeah. you don't, 
we're good. If you do, we got a problem. And there's a lot, there's a growing number of people that basically are saying that they do, whether it's a COVID gulag or a um, thought criminal gulag, but it's uh, the gulag is coming. So one way or another. No, so well said. And I think the vast majority of the American people, the Canadian people, the British people, vast majority of, of human beings everywhere want to be free inside the breast of every human being beats the living, breathing heart of freedom. And people like you are basically modern-day sentinels. You're the one who's out there spreading the message of freedom by showing us, hey, these are the forces of darkness out there that whether or not you agree with this particular political candidate are doing things that should horrify you, that should never happen to anybody. And for me, I believe that's why your documentary was so successful in the first place. And that's why I believe that your production company is going to be extremely successful. And eventually you're going to be making 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 100 movies a year because the American people are hungry for it. People in the West are hungry for it. And frankly, people all over the world are hungry for it. So God bless your heart. Amanda Milius. Oh, thank you so much. I hope, you know, from your mouth to God's ears, I hope we, I hope we do. You will. You will. And listen, I'm, I'm one of your foxhole buddies. You know, I'm next to you uh, in the foxhole and we'll, we'll help you do what you do. And frankly, I want to make some movies with you. I think it'd be fun. And I'd like to connect you yeah. with people like Michael Hopf and, uh, you know, my friend Elon. And reconnect you with Roger. I've got a couple ideas myself. Um, heck, I'm Let's a performer. I want to I be in a movie. I told my friend Elon, I said, listen, man, when you make some non-documentary movies, I want you to bring me on. You know, let's do some small parts. He says, yeah, yeah, it'd be cool. And my my beautiful better half, she's actually done some acting and that's been her childhood dream. So, you know, let's let's talk. I now know an actual genuine bona fide producer. So let's rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. I mean, there's a lot of untapped talent. So I think we need to, We it's, it's definitely, it's like the one thing in the country that I feel really bright about. I mean, it's weird. I have all these like really black-pilled conversations about politics. And then like the one thing where I'm like, no, actually the culture thing's going to turn out fine. Like it, I feel really is. good about it. I feel you, really you, confident you, you about it. You should feel very good about it. Uh, I'm telling you that right now. And um, you should also feel very good about the fact that uh, I think what the uh, what the forces of darkness did in the last election is going to come and bite them in the butt <laughs> because they have awakened yeah, a sleeping so. giant and filled him with a terrible resolve. That's what Admiral Yamamoto, the man who planned the Pearl Harbor attack, said after he directed the Pearl Harbor attack. He said, I feel that all we have done is awaken a sleeping giant and fill him with a terrible resolve. And he was speaking That's of the so, United States. So and I believe yeah. that that... That is what the the forces of darkness, the forces of the left have done. You know, in this last election, listen, I'm not here to say that I have 100% proof that, you know, that election was tainted. But what I am here to say is that it's really, really funny that only six states showed Donald Trump decreasing his vote total. And these happen to all be, every single one of them, very close, very tightly contested battleground states. In every other state, including states he lost, Donald Trump increased his vote total by between 1% and 7%. He added 12 million votes to his total. 
No president has added that many votes to their total ever before. Barack Obama had three and a half million fewer people vote for him in his reelection campaign. Donald Trump had 12 yeah. million more people vote for him. It's got to at least have people say, we need to look at this. Anybody who is against taking a deep dive into the election as it was run into those six states is not interested in truth. They're just interested in saying, move along, nothing to see here. But you know what? That's, that's like fascism. That's like communism. That's not a free and democratic society. A free and democratic society, if there's even a slight possibility that the election was tainted in those six states, it needs to be investigated and investigated thoroughly, and it wasn't. So you know what? The uh, the folks in Georgia who passed this new election integrity bill, I think it's a great first step. I think all the other battleground states that were affected need to pass similar laws. And the fact that the Democrats are howling howling at the crime of having people show ID when they vote. Listen, I'm an immigrant from the Middle East, yeah. okay? I'm an olive skin, kind of brownish man. I got to tell you, I'm deeply offended when white people come to me and say, you're too dumb to have ID. You don't need ID. That's kind of racist. That's kind of offensive to people like me. I know how to get yes, ID. Thank you very I much. Mean, and I'm happy well, to show my ID when I go to the bank or when I vote. That's all I have to say. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really odd. Like, I've yet to hear somebody make the counter argument to this, where you're like, "Why is IDs for voting bad? Like, what it, like what is it? What what like when they say that it's like an anti-black thing, where you're like, what is it about black people in their mind that prevents them from getting IDs? Well, only a racist would like, say that. Only yeah. a racist would say yeah. that about black people. You know, like it's ridiculous. You you want to say that about Middle Eastern people like me too? I I'm sorry, I call you a racist if you say stuff like that. Anybody who says for that sure. is 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 an out and out racist. Because what they're saying is that they don't really believe in equality. They just want, you know, minority people's votes. That's all they care about. And I got to tell you, as a minority fella, that kind of ticks me off. That kind of really well, they don't really even want their off. actual. They don't even want their actual votes. They just want the um, the fact that there's no security. They want to use them. I mean, that's what's so crazy about it is it isn't even about protecting their vote. It's about protecting the instability, the insecurity of that particular election so that they can come in and do their uh, theft as they in all the different ways that they do. And I mean, that's one of the reasons why it was so such a, you know, such a mess this last election is because there was so many different forms of fraud. I mean, it wasn't even a question of whether there was voter fraud. It was like, take your pick. There was your garden variety fraud. There's domestic fraud. There's, I mean, it was everything you can imagine. So yeah, I, I spent a lot of time working on that. Unfortunately, I got roped into the last election in Nevada again, uh, which was really depressing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, what Georgia is doing is definitely a, a step in the right direction. It would have been great if they had, uh, you know, done anything about the laws that the Democrats were changing for two years up until the 2020 election um, in a similar way that Texas did. Texas, the uh, attorney general there is really good. And and the state legislature. Yeah, he's fantastic. And what the difference between, you know, Texas and Georgia in 2020 was that Texas fought back every single one of these um legal challenges and changes that they wanted to do. Um, and Georgia just kind of let them slide. So Georgia's playing catch up in my opinion, but I'm glad that they are. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's great. And, and it ought to happen in every state. And you know, listen, I, I believe everybody's vote should count who is a registered legal voter. And 
I'm from Canada. I live in Canada. When we go vote here, we show ID. Like it, it, it it's not yeah. even controversial. Everybody shows ID, and there's not a whole lot of mail-in voting uh, in Canada. I'm not, you know, they're trying to change that, but most people here vote in person. There's a lot of early voting. There's a lot of early voting options. I took advantage of them in the last couple of elections myself. But mailing voting really isn't much of a thing here. People just go to the polls and they vote. And that's the way it should be. You show your face. This is who I am. This is my ID. I'm voting. End of story. Yeah. I, you mean, know? I, I, I can't you know? understand an argument against that at all. There is one. All right. So we like to end off each and every single one of our episodes by asking you as our guest expert, for your top three expert action steps, these are your three best pieces of advice for my listener to take on so that he or she can take their life, their business to the next level, just like you did. So what do you say, Amanda? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I've been thinking about that. That's a little bit tough because I don't want to be responsible for people being ostracized by their left-wing communities if they happen to live in them. But my advice and if, I mean, I can only say this because it worked for me, but for many years, I feel like I was not exactly being myself. Um, and it's not that, you know, I was such a political person that unless I was allowed to talk about politics every day, I was living a lie. Like I wasn't that, but there was this artificial wrong feeling when I was working in the film industry in in LA, even though everything, I had done everything right. You know, I went to the right film school. I did really well. I did, I put all the ducks in a row. I did the short, I got in all the film festivals. I did all this stuff, but they're just, it wasn't vibing. It just wasn't, they're just, I wasn't excited, but I just, it just felt really wrong. And I, I don't know, I guess what I would say is that like, I've been so amazed that the thing that Andrew Breitbart spoke about turns out to be true, at least in my case, which is that, um, when you just sort of stop worrying about, how you're perceived and just sort of do what you actually want to do and, and be your on and, and stand up for what you believe in. I mean, that's the thing is that basically we are as a country dependent on people really in a massive way, speaking their minds and standing up for what they believe in, because we're very good at being the silent majority. And, you know, I, a lot of people have to, obviously, because of, they say, you know, um, my business will suffer if I, you know, come out as, as being, having the opinions that I have. But I guess my, I don't have any, you know, proof of this outside of myself and people that I hear from, but I, I just have this almost like, um, faith in that when you really just, you know, go for it and stand up for what you believe in and work in alignment with your values that, things work out much better in the end. So that's, that's not a very hard and fast piece of advice that like, I've got a lot of data to support because, you know, I, I, I know that in a lot of industries you, you can't, uh, you know, people think they can't. I think that's really what I'm saying is that you think you can't be your political self, uh, that it'll affect your work. And I just feel like more people should take the risk and do it anyways, because, we have a civilization to save and, uh, you know, people need to be free to speak their minds because the more you're silent, the more you lose that, that right. I mean, we all, I think thought that free speech was a, was a guaranteed thing and it's so clearly not. And I think that, that, you know, phrase like, or whatever it is that you lose the freedoms you don't use 
uh, I think it's very true. So I would just, yeah, I think, I guess that's, it's not a terribly big business. Uh, I don't, it's not no, exactly be yourself. I think it's very true. Stay yeah. true to who you are and, and, and be yourself, you know, don't try to be someone you're not. Eleanor Roosevelt, a great liberal <laughs> said that it, it, it's better to be a first rate version of yourself than a second rate version of someone else. It's very good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, just to, like, you feel worse when you don't stand up for what you believe in. Like even when you get in some kind of trouble or you lose opportunities or friends or something, like it feels better telling the truth and knowing that whatever you did, it was what you actually believed. So like I lost a lot of friends when I left Hollywood and joined the Trump administration because people were horrified. But, um, the friends that stuck with me, I, I think are really great. And I think I have great relationships with them. And the ones that didn't, I really don't miss. And I don't think about at all. And I think they're kind of miserable people that I would not care to do business with anyways. So there you go. Uh, I think that's fantastic. Okay. So that's number one. What are the other two? Oh my gosh. Uh, I, I would say, I mean, I don't know. Um, I'd like to say on the creative side of things, I mean, it's really more of of this appeal. I mean, this isn't exactly advice, but I mean, I don't know how many of your listeners are creatives or have ever wanted to be creatives or have ever done, um, you know, writing or whatever it is. But Every I mean, entrepreneur I would just really- at their heart is an artist. Steve Jobs said right? that and so did Seth Godin. Every entrepreneur is an artist. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, on the conservative side, we tend to be very intellectual and we tend to be very facts focused. And I think that I would just say, you know, make sure, spend time not doing that. Spend time doing something that's just creative. Spend time like, you know, there's no, there's this idea that um, if you're a creative person, you have to be a liberal. And I actually can, I can trace this back to, um, you know, movies and uh, things things giving people that subconscious sense. Um, I used to call it with a friend of mine, the Edward Scissorhands effect, because there was this whole um, movement in the eighties and nineties to make movies about how, if you lived in the suburbs and you were from a normal family and you were creative or unique, that you didn't belong. And uh, that's just very not true. Um, So I would say that like, yeah, I mean, I just encourage people to do things that, you know, don't seed that ground. Like, don't let, you know, the left own art. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, the reason that like so many of these institutions have become so abhorrent to anybody with any normal, you know, with any, I would say actual sophisticated taste is because we've abandoned the the battlefield. Um, it's not like most of the contemporary art galleries in New York are catering to, uh, tastes that we might all find, uh, find appealing. That's because when's the last time you all went to an art gallery or, you know, did anything like that? I mean, we've got to participate in these, in these fields in order to, to be, to see things, you know, more the way that we'd like. So that's, that's the second thing, I guess. I love it. I love it. Okay. And what's the final thing? I think just getting it. I mean, I don't know this. I'll try and stick to something a little bit more that I learned, I guess, in the last, like, uh, and I learned when I was working in film before, but that the best, another kind of reason for saying what you believe and, and standing up for, you know, being in a truthful place as much as you can and still have a, a you know, a professional life is that, um, the best 
time, I guess I found the best, like, you know, working experience I ever had was when I can work with my friends. And I mean, that's one of the things that's great about being able to make movies is that I really get to work with people that I really like. And I just, you spend a lot of time working in your life. So you might as well do it around people that you agree with and that you like, and that you grow with. Not that everybody has to think the exact same way, but that, um, you know, that you're not adversarial with. And I, I just feel like that was a real change in my life that I feel like a, ma- a major lift from, you know, it's much more exciting to like go to work when you're excited to work with the people you're working with as opposed to, you want people who are, you know, for high- you. you want people who are for you. Yeah. They're on your side. It totally yeah. makes sense. That's great advice. Yeah. And I feel like that that's really what was so great about working on this movie. I mean, we had such a ragtag team, you know, we had these, a lot of young people, like really young kids that were these little MAGA kids running around and like learning how to make films and, uh, my producing partner, people I've worked with before. And it was just a very unique team and I wouldn't have traded it for anything. It was just a great experience. And I mean, that's, that's when movies are like at their best is when you feel like you've got just this awesome team that, uh, you develop your own sense of humor and you're just all living on top of each other getting something really great done and everybody feels guided by the mission i mean that was one of me every felt honored to tell this story and there i mean you can just do you can do so much when you've got you know the trust of your team in in the vision in general and the and the um you know the the end result everybody believes in it so that really lucky every time we do something i love it I love it. Those are three fantastic expert action steps. So, listener, Amanda Milius is a thought leader's thought leader. She is someone who basically followed her passion, followed her convictions, saw an opportunity, went for it, and created massive success for herself. So, make sure that you go watch her documentary, The Plot Against the President. It is a fantastically well-done documentary. You'll learn something, but also from a business point of view, take a look at how following her conviction and working with people who are for her allowed her to win. That's what you need. And I think that's a great segue into why we do this podcast. We do this podcast because you're an entrepreneur and we're for you. We believe in you. You're society's greatest hero. The fact that you listen to the show is something that we don't take lightly. We are here to be of service to you and we want to help you find a way to become that best version of yourself. Steve Pressfield in his magisterial book, The War of Art says, everyone has a life they're living and a life they ought to be living. And we are here to help you bridge that gap and take you to that next level. So please do us a favor. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with a few folks. Go to iTunes, leave a review, leave a rating. Okay. And make sure that if you learn something good here, you share this episode, you tell a couple of your friends, that's how we grow the movement. That's how we help you become one of the billion millionaires that we want to see help take the free enterprise system to the next level. Hashtag billion millionaires, hashtag million billionaires. There are currently 46 million millionaires in the world and just over 4,400 billionaires. We want to raise those numbers pretty dramatically. That's a part of our mission. Go to our website, ecircleacademy.com. There's a ton of great resources there for you to uh, enjoy. There's a free masterclass you can watch. There's a couple of free reports on how to grow your business you can watch. You can apply to jump on a call, a success call, to help see 
how you can take your business to the next level. Take advantage of all those, but make sure you go and you check out Amanda's movie. It's on Amazon Prime, The Plot Against the President. Or you can go online, you can order the DVD. That's a really cool way to get it too. So make sure you do that. Amanda, it's been a, a real pleasure having you on the show. I know that, you know, we, we just met, but I feel like we're fast friends. You're like my sister from another mister. And I'm looking forward to working <laughs> with you uh, on, ongoingly on having you on a bunch of shows and, and finding other ways to be of service together. Oh, thank you so much. This was really awesome. I'm so glad we got to do this. And I totally agree. We're going to be working on a lot of stuff. I'm sure of it. Yeah, me too. Me too. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's amazing guest, the iconic, the one and only Amanda Milius, go to thethoughtleaderrevolution.com or go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Check out the show notes over there. And please share the show, leave a review, leave a rating. And go to ecircleacademy.com and take advantage of all the incredible resources we have over there to help you take your business to the next level, to help you become one of those billion millionaires, or maybe you're even going to be one of the million billionaires. Until next time, goodbye. This episode has been brought to you by ecircleacademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. 